0: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Williams, and today we are going to be talking with probably one of the biggest farmers on social media. If you're super active on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, um, you have probably seen the plethora of videos he has out there, whether it's ag facts or homesteading or farming, you have definitely seen his videos. He goes by the Shiloh Farm on social media, but his name is Noah Young, and he is our guest today on the show. So Noah and I are going to talk about all things content creation how he goes about creating his content, like his motivation for it, how much he likes filming, all that good stuff. And obviously we're going to talk about farming and agriculture and kind of the difference between homesteading and farming. Noah is kind of in a really cool situation where he does kind of both. And he'll tell us about kind of the main differences, what they are, and kind of how he really doesn't try to put a label on it. And we'll also talk about some of his favorite facts, like, you know, why don't we wash eggs? How you can actually give your chickens um pepper seeds and how it actually increases their nutrients which is really cool and we'll also talk about some i mean we've got a really a lot of really good quotes from this interview stuff like the importance of especially on social media of being a guide and not an expert and that's something i talk with Noah about like that's something i kind of struggle with with the whole farm traveler thing like i'm not an expert but i would love to be anybody's guide to learn more about farming food and agriculture and so that's a really cool talking point that we're going to talk about Uh, and also how he says that chickens are the gateway to homesteading and how it's a very simple way people can get into growing their own food because of course you get eggs but it's also a protein source with the chicken so that's also really neat and Noah actually took the jump a couple months ago where he is now a full-time content creator and because he's doing it full-time he has a lot more time to travel and do collabs with a bunch of awesome farming influencers that are already like already on social media and so we'll talk about that like what all goes into collaborations what are some awesome ones that he's done with actually some past guests from here on the show so check out noah at the links below you've again you've probably seen his videos all over the place this was a really fun interview to chat with him about all things farming homesteading and of course content creation Anyway, hope you enjoy this episode with Noah Young. Noah, welcome to the show, man. How are you? Wonderful. How about yourself? I'm good. So we've actually done this once before. We had an interview, but this is going to be an even better interview. No technical (laughs) difficulties. And obviously, I think it's really cool because you're in like a totally different stage of your career. When we last talked, you were thinking about going full-time influencer and now you're full-time influencer so how how has that shift been
2: yeah it's been actually really great um i left my my corporate job in december of 2022 and so i've got about four months under my belt being a full-time farmer slash influencer content creator and it's been great uh for the first couple weeks you know it's winter time there's snow outside so i'm like sleeping in i'm like (laughs) i don't know what to do with the day and now springtime's here it's busy really planting and making videos. And all of a sudden, I'm like, how in the world did I do all this while working for Like, <laughs> I don't know where the time went. But you keep busy. And it's been really excellent to be able to have more time with my family, to be able to, to play with the kids. I actually just came in from a, a stick sword fight with the children. So it's just been nice to be able nice. to hang out with them.
1: I bet, I bet that's one of the awesome perks of like, you know, being your own boss and being, you know, like working from home and being an influencer. It seems like you have more time for your family because you, you kind of took the leap, you left your corporate job, and then now you've got more time to, you know, do your job and also like hang out with friends and family.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And that was really what inspired me to even start social media was during 2020, during the pandemic, I started working from home. And that was like the moment where I realized this isn't like life isn't about being gone from your family for fifty hours a week and then you try to just squeeze in some family time it's like what what happened to working with your children and teaching them skills mm. and being like involved as a family unit and that really just sparked that that desire in me to be able to whatever it takes to spend time with them and come up with a career that I can actually do with them
1: oh a hundred percent and so Like for those first few weeks, like after you started doing this full time, were you like trying to figure out a schedule? Like what were you trying to do? You know, you could you could do the best of it, like make great content, have time for that and then have time for family.
2: Yeah, I did try to do a schedule. I'm actually more scheduled now than I was the first couple of weeks, because like I said, Mm -hmm. I had all these ideas and things I wanted to do. But the weather was it's a blizzard outside and I always try to do my filming outside. That's uh, outdoor lighting is always better. I'm I'm in the garden. So naturally, the, the content um, it's tailored for the outdoors. And so there just wasn't a lot for me to actually do. And now that there's spring is, t- you know, now that spring is here and I can get outside, uh, try to actually start waking up a little bit earlier before eight <laughs> o'clock and
1: get some things done. There you go. That's not bad. And so you're on, you're on every social media platform. It seems like you're the Shiloh farm. You're huge on TikTok, Instagram, all that stuff. Um, like, what's it like managing all of those social media platforms? I'm sure you're like a jack of all trades when it comes to that.
2: Yeah, I'm actually not. <laughs> I really have started to just create one piece of content and then put it on all four platforms. And we were kind of, mm. it's changing. We used to be in the golden age of video content where you could make one piece of content and have it go viral on you know, a number of different platforms. The platforms have all started to change now because Instagram seems to be a little bit more like TikTok and TikTok's trying to be a little bit more like YouTube and YouTube's trying to be a little more like TikTok used to be. And so it's definitely changing. Uh and that's kind of the fun part about this industry, like creating content, is that it's you don't you can't really just get into a rhythm. Um mm. you, you kind of have to always be using your creative mind to come up with ways to get in front of people. And really for me. I'm not about trying to be as entertaining as possible as much as I am education as well. And so that's fun is like, how do I, you know, with each platform. So TikTok, for example, it used to be the best videos performed under 60 seconds. So for me, it was how do I get a good gardening concept across that's entertaining and keeps people hooked for 60 seconds and like still provide them some value, like something they can actually learn from. And as these video platforms continue to change, they're actually wanting more long-form content. So it's nice because Mm. it's like, well, now I can give you more detailed information on how to raise chickens than just a very
1: generic, broad tip. No, that makes sense. Like, what all goes into it when you're planning it? Like, do you have like a a brainstorming sheet that you throw down all these ideas and then you write like a little script or like what all goes into that?
2: Again, I've tried that. I am not very good (laughs) at like running a script. I did a video with... Uh, Gatlin one time and Gatlin's like very scripted he he writes out the lines Mm. and it was really nice to be able to be a part of a video like that when I tried to come home and do that for myself the lines just I work better on the fly like my creative juices get flowing I I usually do like three or four takes of each line and usually my fourth one is like the best one because I come up with something better (laughs)
1: <laughs> there you go it's funny seeing like what works for some people and then it totally doesn't work for you or something like that like everybody has their own systems in yeah. place and gatlin's content is really cool and it, it it seems like it's not it seems like he has like a good methodology behind it like very scripted Absolutely. and his content's great but your content is awesome too and so it's awesome that you both have those systems that work for you
2: yeah and that's i mean honestly what makes any good creator is just being authentic to how they want to to talk how they want to provide that information. And I'm not a quick thinker. Like I'm really not good. Even in these like interviews, I'm not fast, my brain doesn't react quickly. And so I like having that time to be able to flesh things out and see which uh, story kind of comes across best and be able to edit those things together. And there are some people that work really good on the fly. They're just super quick thinkers, shark farmer, field Rose. Those guys are really, really smart
1: at just being able to to come up with things on the spot. So speaking of things of coming up on the spot, like do you try to hop on like any trends or news going on, whether it's on social media or farming and you're like, Oh man, I need to get a video out today or tomorrow on this one specific topic. Have you managed that so far?
2: Yeah. uh, Sometimes. And it it depends on if it's really like in my niche. So when the Mm. egg shortage was going around, I did a video on, on the egg shortage and I knew that would do really well. So if there's something that's in the zeitgeist and everybody's like talking about it in mainstream news, those are the ones that I try to hop on and, and kind of capitalize on that information. A lot of times it's to help prevent misinformation. Like right now there's, um, a lot of talk around the MRNA vaccine in cattle and everybody's kind of freaking out about that and using the platform I have to try and help people understand for the majority of ranchers right now, like they're not using that. And so Yes, that is a possibility, but also it's a good chance to tell people, hey, why don't you get to know your local farmer and ask them directly instead of just buying your beef from the store? So you can kind of approach it from both sides, trying to get the right information to the consumer.
1: Yeah, that's been a big a big one that I've seen. And I had a guy on the show a couple of months ago from Rep Provisions in Oklahoma. Oh yeah, and he had he had a really good reel. I think yesterday or Monday where he was talking about it. He's like, Hey, I just want to tell you like, we're not going to do the MR, the M and the, the R DNA um, vaccine. And here's why. And he like detailed it out very well. And like, you don't get that from like a big box store. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, you don't know where you're getting your meat from. So it's awesome that he has that opportunity to, to kind of share it. And I mean, like you, you were talking about the chicken things. You covered it really, really well. And you, you covered it. Um, you did like what the chili flakes, like adding that to the chicken, fo- yeah. to the chicken feed. And yeah. that did really well. People are like, oh, wait, you can actually do this. It's so cool.
2: Yep. Yeah. I, I always like to not be the expert, right? Because I, I don't ever want to claim, like I didn't get my degree in animal husbandry or animal science, but there's a lot of tips out there that you can find. And there's a lot of people that I utilize as resources to then take that. So like the chili flakes, for example, that wasn't something I discovered. I wasn't like some animal livestock feed genius that figured this out. But again, being able to package it in a way that's entertaining and gives people an idea of like, here, here's a quick tip for what you can do to, to help your chickens. Uh, and that again was actually a myth. So I was doing my research on whether or not, uh, putting red pepper flakes in your feed increases how many eggs they'll lay. And I found out that's not actually true. And so the video was really just kind of a centered around that. Like you maybe have heard this as a homesteader, but it's not true. Here's what is true about red pepper flakes.
1: Yeah, that was so fun. And that, that's a good quote. Like, you're not an expert. And I've heard it somewhere where it's like, whenever you're making content, like shift it to where you're not an expert, but you're a guide. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't have all the information, but I'll help you get there as I try to figure it out, too. Yeah. And I've tried to like trying to shift the content as well. Like, hey, I don't know all the answers, but let's ask people and figure out all the answers.
2: Yeah. And people are more entertained by that than they are really honestly the expert, depending on what it is. Like if I'm going to a doctor, I I probably want like an expert doctor (laughs) to give me advice. But in general, people, like you said, they want somebody that's just gonna come alongside them, kind of confirm some of the beliefs they have and just be that guide. And that was something I actually learned in marketing too, was the story, the power of telling a story and how consumers connect with products that they feel like they're they're a part of that. And they don't necessarily want to just be told this is the product for you and you have to use this thing and it's the best thing. They want to be brought along and feel like they're getting value for what they're buying.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. They're getting value. And also they're like, you know, hearing your story or something like that where, you know, they support you or, or any other farmer. They're like, you know what? I heard his story. And so I want to support him or her. And so there's more to it. Like they're buying into the product As much as they're buying into like the farmer's story or something like that, which I think is really cool. And like you do a great job, like on your stories. And I, I suck at Instagram stories, (laughs) like being consistent, but you're like always showing like what's going on, what content's going on. Like, I think that's really cool. Just like the, the transparency you and other farmers use social media, like, Hey, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm learning. Here's what I'm doing where like consumers can literally see what you're doing on a day-to-day basis.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm not great at stories either. I go in like spurts. I'll like post <laughs> 10 stories in a day and then go two days without posting one. But you mentioned that transparency. I think that's the key to being successful, not just in life, but even on, on social media because people want to see. So we had um, these twin lambs that were born unexpectedly. I, wasn't, mm. I didn't know they were coming. And So I had to share kind of the story of here's the lambs that we had and the first night, one of the lambs died, had a a hernia and it passed away. And like having to share that with people isn't really that much fun because you get a lot of feedback that's a lot, Mm -hmm. mostly good, but you also get some bad feedback. And so having that transparency, um, just letting people get a glimpse of it's not all sunshine and roses when you're farming or homesteading, like we try to portray all the good things that you can do, but there's some really sucky parts about it. And having that makes it authentic and people are, are drawn to that.
1: Yeah. I mean, there that's tough because there's so much that goes into it. Um, there's a lot of wins and there's a lot of losses. Like if you're farming, especially if you have livestock, or even if you're a row cropper, I mean, there's so much going on there. And I think that transparency is huge. Like you're, you're being honest. You're showing the difficulties, I mean, do you think people resonate with you more because you're being so transparent?
2: Oh, yeah, 100%. And it all goes back to that story. You know, people ask me, how do I, I've got an interesting farm. I feel like I should start a YouTube page. I'm like, do it. But make sure that you're telling the story of how you got to where you are and what you're doing next and and then provide those updates. Everybody wants to see this type of lifestyle right now. You know, the majority of my audience is on the coast. They're not farmers. They're interested Mm. in this, this style of life. And so they want to see it. There's no like competition amongst homesteaders or farmers or anything like that. There's, there's plenty of eyes on this type of content. So just get out there and start posting and do it in a way that shares your story. And then you'll be able to, you know, I know multiple people that have started selling products because of their social media page, not just, Mm. not just t-shirts. Like I'm not talking merch. They started a merch page. Like they were actually able to sell, um, Gavin Spore is one that's a really good example, started selling his popcorn to his audience and has grown his popcorn business because of social media.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I need to look him up. But I mean, whether you're like a rancher, you can sell your beef online or you can sell it on social media. I mean, there's a lot of people selling merch, but there's, I feel like there's a smaller amount of people like selling goods. Yeah. Um, and so when you can do that, that's a huge opportunity. And you were talking about what's the... What's the main differences between homesteading and farming? Because I think you cover both really well. So what are some main differences and how, how, do, how do they really relate also?
2: Well, so the technical term, like if you want to be a, an actual farmer, according to the USDA, you need to make over $1,000 in um, sales to be labeled mm, okay. as a farmer. Now, I have always kind of struggled with that because I consider myself a first-generation farmer. But I live here in Nebraska and the farmers here, Are row crop farmers, so they've got a couple hundred acres, couple thousand acres, and they're growing corn, beans, wheat. I don't grow any of that, so it's hard for me to, to, (laughs) you know, go to the local co-op and say I'm a farmer because what I'm doing is more vegetables, and I'm doing chickens, and I'm doing goats and sheep, Uh, and so I don't really try to get caught up in labels too much, just because I think as long as you're, for me, the definition of being a farmer is you're growing something that you're able to then. Either eat yourself, provide for the community, or there's even like agritourism. You know, you could be considered a farmer if you're doing agritourism and even education at this point. You know, there's a lot of nonprofit farms that are popping up to try and help school kids come out and learn some hands on skills. And so I don't get too worried about the definition of farming. I think as long as you're somehow related to agriculture and growing food connected to the land, um,
1: that counts. That's awesome. And, like, if you're homesteading, are there a lot of like tourism opportunities for that too? I imagine because there's, I feel like there's been a boom of people that want to homestead.
2: Yeah. I think homesteading obviously is picking up a lot more than farming because in row crop farming, there's just so many barriers to entry the cost of Mm -hmm. land, the cost of the equipment, uh, even the knowledge that goes into that. Whereas homesteading, you only need a few acres. And so that is an option for a lot of people. And yeah, there's a, this resurgent, a revolution of people wanting to grow their own food. And so homesteading's really taken off, uh, especially during the pandemic. That kind of seemed to be when people saw there's no food on the shelves. Well, maybe I should try to grow my own tomatoes. And so homesteading's really where where all the buzz is. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to forget about the farmers that are, you know, providing ninety eight percent of the food.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Like, like if you're homesteading like a small percentage, like you're not going to completely replace, like having to go to the store. Yeah. I mean, like, let, let's say like, what would be the easiest place to start homesteading? Like, for example, I live in Panama city, Florida and I've got like, shoot, I think like 0.2 acres, maybe I want to get some chickens, but we live in like a suburb. So I don't think the chickens will be allowed. Sure. So like if somebody wants to start homesteading, what would be the easiest path to entry?
2: So I always say chickens because they're one of the most universal. I mean, you can raise them pretty much anywhere in the United States and even internationally, obviously Um, there really isn't like a perfect place to homestead. It's wherever you can find land. And as long as you've got, there's a lot of people in Arizona that have started to do it. As long as you've got access to irrigation. um, Mm. My business partner, Tyler Froberg lives in Texas And they're able to grow 365 days out of the year. And I've always been kind of jealous of that because I have a a window, a very specific window here in Nebraska. We're in zone five. So um, I'm jealous that he can grow that much. But then at the same time, I have a lot of advantages where I have an off season where I can prepare, I can plan, I can Mm reevaluate what I'm doing and kind of grow a lot of other things that you can't grow down in Texas even because of our cooler climate. So it really depends on what you're wanting to Raise and what you're wanting to grow on on where uh, to homestead, but the best way to start is I think chickens. There's a reason they're called the gateway to homesteading because it's a great way to <laughs> to learn how to manage animals. Rabbits are actually really good if you can uh, stomach oh, okay. rabbit meat. Rabbits are a great great way to get started. Honeybees, uh, if you can raise honey, because you don't need a lot of land for that because they they'll go into they'll go into the neighbors without uh, being caught for <laughs> trespassing. So Bees are a good True. thing to start with. Um, and then as far as vegetables, I always say, grow what you want to eat. You know, everybody who says tomatoes, peppers, you got your staples, beans, corn, whatever. That's fine. But if you end up spending all this time and you grow something that you don't actually like, you're not going to be as invested in, in growing that. So that was one of the mistakes I made. I was focused on growing stuff for everybody else. And then kind of at the end of the day was like, well, I personally don't actually eat that many tomatoes. So I don't, I don't care if this tomato doesn't do well. I love carrots. So I spent lots of time trying to learn how to grow carrots.
1: Okay. There's a lot to impact there, but I got to ask you about carrots because I'm the same way. I love them and I grew them, but honestly, I didn't do a really good job of like researching like the nutrients in the soil. And after like four months, the carrot that I had was literally an inch. Yeah. And I was like, all that work for yeah. that little bit. So like, what advice would you have for like growing carrots like very well? So the,
2: the key to carrots, kind of with everything, it's this is a generic comment, but is consistent <laughs> watering. And so if you get mm. too much water, they're gonna split. And if you don't get enough water, they are they're just not gonna put down that tuber. And the interesting thing about carrots is what you're trying to grow is the root system. And so you actually right, don't man. wanna water them like every day. You're not you're not trying to keep them moist. You actually wanna let that root try to grow down to get some moisture. So I always say like a really thick watering. So do about an inch a week. Again, this is going to depend on where you're at. So I don't want to give advice that's across the board. But for here, it's about an inch a week. And then let that soil dry out a little bit. Let that root try to grow down. Um, But then don't let it get too dry. Otherwise, it just isn't (laughs) going to get as big as you want.
1: That's good advice. I need to try that again whenever we start like a summer or spring garden. Do you know what variety you planted? No, you know, I just picked them up from Home Depot. It was like a little packet of carrots. And I think that also might have been the problem, just the generic carrots. I think next time I need to like select the right carrot for the right environment. Like, What advice do you have for that, like selecting the right um, seeds?
2: Yeah, so having the right variety is going to be really key to your environment. Mm -hmm. And then soil types. So like with the carrots that we've got, they really like sandy soil. So we actually brought in some sand into our soil Mm. to try and loosen it up a little bit. Uh, and that definitely helps. Just do your research on, on picking the right variety. That's one of those things I get asked all the time. Oh, what variety do you plant for this? I don't know. I'm not an expert in your zone. So like, I can't, I can't really mm. provide you with the the exact seed variety that we use. I can tell you some good places to go. We use um, Haas garden seeds. We use Baker Creek and then Burpee. Burpee is a staple. You can kind of find that anywhere, but Um, Those are three really good resources for where you can go. If you like pelleted stuff, Johnny's is good too, but that's a little more for the commercial if you're doing large scale, like Mm -hmm. if you're doing more than an acre's worth.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, that's something that, I mean, still blows my mind like all the different varieties of fruits and vegetables out there. I mean, with carrots, I'm sure there was, you know, probably hundreds of them that you could get for different. Obviously, different types of carrots, and then um, different zones, and of course, I, I, this is rhetorical, but I want to hear your input. Um, so, where can I get seeds for baby carrots?
2: So, baby carrots is actually <laughs> its own. They used to. We had a guy on our podcast that actually grew carrots, Zach Ortiska, uh, and I don't remember what the variety is that they grew the the baby carrots. I wish I had an answer for you. um, They used to, because I asked them, does this like a a tiny carrot? They used to just cut, trim down like a regular carrot. And now there's actual like varieties where you can get, they're smaller. Oh, they're smaller. So they pack all the flavor into a a smaller package of carrot. And then they just kind of trim it down a little bit.
1: Oh, well, there you go. Well, I'm just going to say that that carrot that I planted was a baby carrot. There you go. Yeah. Baby carrot variety. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You go. And then going back to the chicken thing. Because I want that like, that's my first thing. I want to get chickens eventually. I've heard, though, that there are like silent breeds of chickens that don't cluck. Is that right?
2: Yes, there are. Um, I don't have any of them, so I don't know any off the top of my head. Uh, We live on the country, so we don't have to worry about (laughs) neighbors and all that. But yes, there are some varieties that will not they don't make any noise. And honestly, the, the hens don't make a lot of noise either. It's really the roosters mm. that are your problem. And that's why a lot of places will have chicken laws that you can't have. Or they'll say you can have four chickens, but no roosters.
1: Oh, okay. That's interesting. Yeah, I looked it up in our area. And the rule was actually kind of cool. It's that you could have them as long as you got permission from your neighbors. Yep. And we've got two neighbors. One neighbor's pretty chill. I'm pretty sure they would let us. But another one's like an older couple. And so I'm pretty sure they would not appreciate the chickens. So, yeah, like, they're not. A we try to figure that out. But maybe if we give them some, you know, some eggs every couple of days, that might kind of even out. That's
2: the nice thing about having something that food, a food product, everyone eats, (laughs) right? Everybody's got to eat. So you've got something that you can share with your neighbors and kind of sweeten the pot a little bit.
1: So what would, let's say I get like four or five chickens in the backyard. What would, you know what the output would be like egg wise?
2: Yeah. So it really depends on your breed. Um, The most prolific egg layer is going to be like your white leghorns. They'll lay around 320 eggs uh, a year and that's through the first year. So they'll start laying it around six months. They'll lay that way until they're about 18 months. And then production starts to decline each year, about 10%. Mm -hmm.
1: Um,
2: So that number is for your prime pullet that's just started laying. And so a lot of people think like an egg per day, it's actually not an egg per day. It's usually an egg every 28 to 26 hours. Um, for those you're like your barred rocks, that's a really popular one. They're around 300, um, eggs. And so what I always say is if you're wanting like, say a dozen eggs uh, a day, you're probably going to want to look at 16 birds because not, not all of those chickens are going to be laying that day. They'll, they'll end up having kind of a skip day
1: every six or seven days, whatever that math is. I don't know off the top of my head, but there's a, (laughs)
2: there's a skip in there.
1: Okay. Interesting. And, um, oh shoot. What was it? So uh, w- when you have ba- like backyard chickens like that, you don't have to refrigerate the eggs, right?
2: Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the only reason that they refrigerate eggs here in the United States is because we have to legally wash all the eggs, uh, if you're selling into a grocery store. And so once you wash the egg, you're washing off that protective bloom. Uh, it's called a cuticle. Mm-hmm around the outside of the egg. And what that does is covers all the pores. An eggshell is just like the skin on your um, face. You've got all those pores. And so that cuticle covers those pores up and keeps bacteria from getting in. And once you wash them, you take all that away. So you have to then refrigerate it to make sure the bacteria is not getting into your, your egg. And so if you don't wash them, if they're farm fresh eggs and they're not completely covered in chicken poop, Uh, We don't wash them. You can leave them out on the counter at room temperature and they'll stay that way for uh, about six weeks. Now, this is kind of where you got to you got to tie the experts in with the opinions. So the experts, the science says that that bloom, depending on the humidity in the air, that bloom does eventually wear off. Uh, And so that's why they say about six weeks outside, uh, you know, if they're on the counter. I've talked to a lot of people, homesteaders, though that are like, I had them six months, eight months, they were still fine. I'm like, that's great. I I don't feel like I can give that advice. I just got to kind of trust the science a little bit and say, <laughs> let's just be safe about six weeks. You can leave them out on the counter.
1: Yeah, there's got to be a happy medium there somewhere where you yeah. can you know, trust the science, but also just kind of try it. Now, can you preserve eggs for longer than that? Like, is there a good homesteading method to do that?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. One of the videos I did that was a lot of fun was a This is obscure, so this isn't the main way, but buttered eggs. (laughs) You can actually cover your eggs in butter, and it does the same thing. It covers the pores and keeps the bacteria from getting in, so buttered eggs is an old Irish trick. Uh, You can water glass your eggs. You put some lime in water in a jar, and you can preserve your eggs that way. Uh, You can salt them, so basically what they would do in the ships, like when they would be sailing – they would take a barrel and they would fill it up with salt and then fill that up with eggs and the salt would, again, preserve your eggs. It definitely changes the taste a little bit. You don't want to use them for baking. That's kind of the big thing with preserving eggs. You can keep eggs mm-hmm. for a really long time. You just don't want to bake with them. It does change the the structure of
1: the egg a little bit. I bet it does. So obviously, do y'all cook a lot at home? Like, do you cook a lot of pasta? Yes. For example? Yes. Yeah so i tried one recipe where you take an egg yolk and you put it in salt and you let it like age for like three or four days oh yeah and then you it hardens up and then you grate it on top of the pasta and it was delicious like it was wow. a very rich eggy flavor i tried it and it, it was super easy and it was super good but it's in there for like two or three days and you take it out of the salt and you wash it off and it's like super hard i was like oh it's kind of cool, but I, I can't remember who I saw it from, but it was actually super easy and super tasty. So that the next delicious. time you try pasta, maybe try it. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I have not I have not tried that. That sounds really good. It only took three days. Yeah, they said leave it in there for like three to four days, I think. And I took it out after three and it was like really hard. So I was like, oh, and just, And then you, then just you just kind of
2: grate it on top like cheese.
1: Yeah, exactly. You, you you get the pasta and then you just grate it on top. And it, it looks like little bits of cheese on there because it's like very rich yellow. So wow, that was
2: kind of cool. That's cool.
1: So all these videos you do, they're awesome. I feel like you get a really good calf workout because you're jumping into <laughs> all the videos. <laughs> like, when, when, I mean, that's perfect. Like, that's how people really identify like the, like the start of your videos. Like, how did that start?
2: Yeah, I go in spurts. Again, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I'll try to jump into frame and I'll do that. I'm like, oh, that was kind of cool. So I'll do that for a couple weeks, and then I forget about it. And then my next thing will be like. Oh, I'm gonna drop something into frame. So like I'll always drop whatever I have in my hand. If it's an egg video, it'll be an egg. If it's a cabbage, like the cabbage will drop into frame. So I, I don't wanna bore myself. Maybe that's probably what it is. I don't know <laughs> if my audience is getting bored. I just get bored of me doing the same thing. So I try to come up with new innovative ways to do it. I like the ones where I'll I'll pop an egg right out of my mouth to start the video. Just something to oh yeah. To peak people's and peak people's interest.
1: So speaking of that, you did one a few weeks ago and I saw so many comments on it. Um, it was snowing and you were outside and you had an orchid and you were showcasing about what to do with an orchid. So yeah. what was the whole idea behind that video?
2: So that one's funny. And this is, you're getting an insight into how half these videos come. I have a list on my phone of like video ideas, mm-hmm. but it keeps growing longer. I'm not ever actually like <laughs> trimming that list down because I end up, thinking that's maybe not that great of an idea. And some of the best videos I have are ones like the orchid one, where it was just beautiful, snowing, so pretty. And I'm walking by the greenhouse, and all I could see is this one pink flower against the white. You know, I did have some green in the greenhouse, but it was like white background and this just stark pink. And I was like, that is such a pretty shot. I got to film that. But how, how am I going to film this? Like, what, what am I going to do? I need an excuse. And I was like, well, let's just do an, an orchid video. You know, that's not typically something you see on a homestead. But yeah, true. It's so pretty. I got to film it. And that video did so well. So well. That's why I say yeah. some of the ones like you can script and you can do all this. But at this, at the end of the day, like when you see something that's cool and interesting, that's what you got to put out there.
1: Man, I, I can't tell you how many times it's happened. Like a reel, for example, on Instagram that I spend so much time or a video on YouTube that I spend so much time like editing and brainstorming gets a decent amount of traction. But one that I just threw together that it's about something that I thought was cool just like explodes. Like yeah. I did one. I did a reel. Um, it's, it was like a remix of like this guy. He's like, did you know it can cost 100 grand for a tractor? And I remixed it. I was like, dude, that's a cheap tractor. Like it costs so much more than that. Yeah. And it was just like this throwaway reel. And I think after like a month, it's at like 400,000 views on Instagram. Holy and I was smokes. like, holy crap. Holy God. Yeah, it was, it was wild. So you never know what's going to be super successful.
2: Yeah. And again, that's like a, an interesting line you have to toe because I, there are some people that that is all they do. They just do the like, I don't care. Just throw it away. Well, their account's probably oh, yeah. not going to grow. You have to put some thought into it. But then at the end of the day, there are some accounts where you put so much time and effort into it. They're not going anywhere and they wear themselves out. And it's like, Just have that balance, right? Sometimes you got to put some time and effort into it. And then other times you just don't overthink it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, a hundred percent. And now I saw a lot of comments on that video with the orchid. So many comments when I first looked at it were like, oh my gosh, you took it outside. You took it outside. It's in the cold. (laughs) But I feel like that's a great strategy to build, like to get people to come into the video. Cause I've seen so many people that, you know, they make a video and they state something wrong, like a math equation. They're like, oh, hey, eight times eight is 20. And everybody comments like, no, it's not. But you get so much traction Click because bait. people want to call you out on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
2: yeah I try not to do too much of that um, only because I do feel like it's a little, I don't know. It feels like a, a cheap way of doing it. But at the same time, there, there's a right way of doing it. There's a there's a oh, yeah, balance yeah, yeah, yeah. of like my favorites. I'll just maybe misspell something where it doesn't actually, I'm not trying to mislead anybody or I'm not trying to be fake, but if mm-hmm. you misspell a word, you're going to get people that comment like they they <laughs> have to correct you. So they'll just comment the correct uh, the correct word and
1: then you get your oh, engagement yeah.
2: up. At least that's what I say. Half the time I'm just a bad speller, but I try to pretend like I did that on purpose.
1: <laughs> yeah. In that um, in that tractor video, I was saying like, you know, technically like a tractor can be more expensive than an Aston Martin. But I, I somehow mispronounced it I said Aston Morton. Oh nice. somehow. And like so many people were calling me out like what's an Aston Morton? You yeah. said Aston Morton instead of Aston Martin. I was like, okay, thanks for commenting. <laughs> so the,
2: the problem with that is I've st- it's changed my vernacular because I call things like a rhinosaurus or I'll call it Basil. Or I'm trying to think <laughs> about it like because I'm trying to be kind of funny and unique, and now that's just like I don't say basil, I call it Basil, and I I can't help it. aluminum is another one i'm stuck aluminium that's a very british word (laughs) yeah yep
1: now i have been stuck on this phrase not this phrase but this word forever and i refuse to yield on it but it's um wheelbarrow to me it's wheelbarrow and not wheelbarrow Wheelbarrow, because to me it's a wheel and half a barrel like to me wheelbarrow makes more sense (laughs) i like it that's a good one (laughs) That's really The good. first time I told it to my wife, she was like, Trevor, you sound like such a southern boy. It is a wheelbarrow, not a wheelbarrow. Do you stay like, with I some refuse. slang
2: too? Like wheelbarrow?
1: Yeah, there's a wheelbarrow over there. I got to go get it. Yeah, You you got to have that slang with it or else it just comes off weird. That's funny. <laughs> so with all these videos and obviously going full time, you've had a lot more time to do collabs. And like you alluded to earlier, you did some with Gatlin who's huge. Him and his grandma are huge on Instagram yeah. and YouTube and everywhere. And then you did a couple with a past guest of ours, Natalie. So oh, yeah. how fun has it been to do all these collabs?
2: So honestly, that's like a dream come true for me. I mm. starting off realized, recognized very early on, like the best way to grow. And I mentioned this earlier. It's not a competition. We as agriculture, if I can collaborate with an a another farmer, we're only expanding our audience you're doubling your efforts right it's not a competition you're you're reaching my audience and i'm getting a to be in front of her audience and so i knew right away that's something i wanted to continue doing was collaborate and so while i was working it's just not really possible especially in all parts of the country and so it's a lot of virtual stuff hey send me a clip and i did last year I did a lot of like farm five farm facts with friends and I would have mm-hmm. one person send me a, a fact and I would put five people together and do those. Now that I'm full time, I've been able to actually travel and get to be like in the same scene with these people. And it's just been a blast to not only get to know them and pick their brain on like the industry, like Gatlin's been in so helpful, giving me tips and tricks and things um, that he knows. And Natalie, same thing. Like sitting down to talk about the algorithm, what works best for them. There's so many mm. valuable tips you get from being with them in person, but then you come to the video side of it. And it's like, man, the, the energy you start to feed off of one another. And it's so different than when you do things virtually. And so that's something I continue um, or want to continue doing is just those in-person collabs. The hard part is justifying. Okay. Do you drive all the way down to Texas to do one video. Like that's, <laughs> that's not possible. And so I've been, you know, I'll get invited to something like the Kentucky national farm machinery show. Mm. It's like, okay, that's good. But can I make videos while I'm there or make some more connections? And so you start to piece things together and you try to, you know, get as many videos as you possibly can. I'm going down to Texas here in the next couple of weeks and trying to like plan out, you know, I'm going to visit three farmers along the way and, and try to get some videos done that it's just a blast. I've, truly live in the dream.
1: That's awesome. And I, I, yeah, like, like you're saying, I'm sure it's so much easier to have that rapport and just that excitement in the videos when you're in person. I mean, you can only do so much like virtually, whether you're making like the, the five farm facts and the, those were so cool. Like you had so many different farmers on there, like sharing their home setting, sharing their farming operation and so many facts. And I mean, like you're saying, it's a great way to like share those audiences. Like you're not, it's not like you're stealing audience members. You're not competing against each other. You're literally just helping everybody grow. You're helping the audience learn more, exposing them to more influencers and more educators out there. So it's great. I love the collaborative nature that you're talking about.
2: Yeah. What's that phrase? There's, um. oh, what? It, oh, rising tide lifts all boats. Oh, that, yeah. That is kind of how I look at it is, you know, anybody in agriculture, you asked if I'm a farmer, homesteader, like my thing is, if you're growing food, like I'm here, I'm here for it and I want to help you out.
1: Yeah, that's really good. A rising tide lifts all ships. I've heard that a lot. And I mean, I might be a little bit biased, but I think the ad community online is amazing because you don't see a whole lot of bickering. There's so much collaboration. Like I've picked brains of people and podcasts in this space and everybody's like super accepting, super open. And I feel like you don't really get that a whole lot in different industries. And I, I don't know, maybe it's because has, do you think farming has really always been like that? Has it's always been collaborative to, in a sense? In a sense.
2: Now we talked about transparency. I'm going to get transparent with people and tell you that farming's not all sunshine and roses here. <laughs> uh, it is interesting how typical farmers are actually pretty competitive. Like they'll sit around at the coffee shop and, and talk, but they don't really talk about how many acres they got. They don't really discuss mm. like the hybrids or like they are a little secretive. And so that's been interesting on social media. You almost have the exact opposite. And I think it's a personality thing because people that are on social media are much more willing to share their lives with people. They understand they're, Mm -hmm. they're in front of an audience. Whereas a typical farmer, they're they're just not like that. It's just kind of how it is. And maybe that's just here in Nebraska. I'm not speaking for the rest of the country, but uh, it does seem to be a little bit closed. However, if you are someone that's asking for advice or you're getting started and you want help i know so many farmers that are willing to step up and say like yeah if you're getting started like let let me help you i'll i'll drive my tractor over here so it is very a very helping community uh they just don't share a lot of like insider secrets all the time but they're definitely willing to to help you get started if you ask
1: that's true. And I feel like, I don't know, years ago, and even uh, even today, there's like this taboo of like, never ask how big a farmer's farm is, mm-hmm. like how many acres don't they farm, ask them how many, how many head of cattle they have. Yeah. Exactly. You don't ask that stuff, but you can maybe ask them, well, you know, how did you start your business? How did you start sharing your business online? Um, but yeah, the, the collaborative nature has gotten really big, which I think is huge because there's so many people out there. Like influencers or educators, like I do, you consider yourself like an educator or an influencer? Because I consider I consider you more of an educator.
2: Yeah, so I like educator a lot more. I don't, I'm not an influencer. Like if I post something and tell people, hey, you need to go buy this lipstick, like nobody cares. They don't. They don't. <laughs> not just because it's lipstick. I don't sell things. I'm trying to educate people. And so the people that I do work with when it comes to influencing, um, Eaton Pet and Pasture is one of my sponsors. Uh, they were actually super instrumental in me being able to leave my job because I got them on a, like I said, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. Would you guys be able to sponsor me for six months? And we've actually extended that now to a year. Um, Nice. That, in my opinion, I'm not necessarily influencing people to, oh, go buy this product. What their product is lines up exactly with what I'm trying to educate people on is like, this product helps your animals. And so Here is why I like this better than the traditional type of betting. And so I'm just educating. And if they happen to want to buy it, like here's where I go to buy it. You know, here's a code if you guys want to save money. But I'm not intentionally trying to sell things. And that's what I didn't want to do. I didn't want to have all these affiliate links and like make my income based on selling because then there's so much pressure on me to sell. My content then suffers because now I'm just trying to do ads and I'm not actually providing any value to the consumer it just it's a downhill slope once you start down that road and so yeah definitely more of an educators is my hope
1: yeah i feel like influencers like they're the apex of the world like they're trying to sell themselves their products and stuff like that like think about like the paul brothers the kardashians stuff like that but you guys like you natalie gatlin's um um, millennial farmers, so many people like they are not the apex, like agriculture and farming in general is the apex. And they're like much more educating instead of like influencing, which I think is cool. And, and your transparency. and like, yeah, like I like these products. They help my business and I've been using them for a long time. Like that's you, you're, you're educating them on why they're using the products and why like they should continue to.
2: So, and that's like another marketing thing. People love buying stuff. Like I I love buying stuff, but I don't like being told you need to buy this. So I'm Mm. ready to buy things, but I'm waiting for the right person to like, tell me why their product is going to help. And I think even from an agriculture standpoint, that's a principle we need to look at is like, don't say, Hey, you should be buying local, like buy local because it's the right thing to do. That's not going to sell anything. You should say, Hey, buy local because guess what? Now, you know, your farmer you know, you can ask them about what vaccines they're using. Look at that. Mm. You can ask them what they're feeding. Like the value is what we should be selling, not, you know, what we're trying to get out of it of supporting local and keeping your dollars close. Um, just sharing that with people, I think is a good marketing approach for anybody, but especially in agriculture.
1: Yeah, that's really, that's a really good point. Like sharing the whys and, you know, like no, it's not just it's a good thing to do. Like you can like telling them what they can do once they build those relationships. That's huge. And yeah, um, I feel like we have so many good talking points and quotes and reels and videos from this interview. This is amazing. Um, so yeah, I mean, what are some future ones? You're going to Texas. Are there any other like big collaborations you're trying to plan in the next couple of months?
2: Um, I actually don't have a lot planned. Like I said, I, I'm going to Texas. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to do that catalyst. I talked about wanting to be with my family, but there was a catalyst moment where my dad called and he said, Hey, a friend of mine, uh, wants to go fishing tomorrow. And he's like, would you like to go with me? And it was a Wednesday. And I was like, I, like, I can't get off work. It's just not, not possible. And that killed me. Cause I know Mm. you, uh, what's that song? The cats in the cradle. I was like, I'm, I'm in cats in the cradle right now. Like I'm telling my dad, I don't have time for him. And so I'm actually going on a fishing trip with my dad. And that was like a moment for me. It's like, I'm gonna go fishing with my dad. So we're going fishing uh, in May. And then after that, it's actually gonna be pretty slow. We're having a baby in August. So I'm Oh
1: congrats. Okay. I'm gonna
2: try to stick around home a little bit and try to get caught up on things. But yeah, a lot of collaboration. It's past that, like winter time, game on. If anybody wants uh wants a crazy farm influencer out filming stuff, <laughs> you let me know. I just got back from Arizona, actually doing a cattle branding, and that was kind of a fun one for me. I, I've worked with cattle before, but being able to be on horseback in the mountains of Arizona, like learning what a cowboy does and the importance of calving and branding and castrating, all that kind of fun stuff, was a really neat experience. So, just got back from that. I still have a couple videos that I'll be posting there as well.
1: That's awesome, and I mean that gives you so much more experience, you know, like going and doing it in person. And th- before you sharing it online, like yeah. that's such a cool thing. You, you can film it and literally like learn it on the spot and then go back and educate it. That's awesome.
2: That's exactly how it was with the, the shoeing video. I have had horses here in the past, so I've seen horse trimming, but I'd never shoot a horse. And so there was a guy, um, uh, there that was shoeing and I was like, do you mind like telling me what you're doing? And I just filmed the whole process and then shared that was the, <laughs> literally the title of the video is here's what I learned about how to shoe a horse in 45 seconds.
1: That's awesome. Dude, those get so much traction on like Facebook because it's so—I don't know—it's so th- soothing just to watch those videos. Just like trim up a horse, yeah. where it's dirty, and then it's super clean. Like it's—it's yeah. it's very fun to watch.
2: Yeah, they, it's super satisfying. People love those satisfying videos, and then if you can <laughs> learn something at the same time, everybody loves learning things. Some more than others, but nobody's like, nope, I'm good. Like I—I I don't care to learn anything new. but that, that just doesn't <laughs> yeah. happen.
1: Yeah, they don't see a video. They're like, no, I don't want to learn. I don't want to learn. It's like, oh, this is interesting. Oh, I'm learning. Like, oh, this is cool. Yep. So you also have, which you mentioned him earlier, Tyler, you also have the Farming for Dummies podcast, right?
2: Yes. Yep. And that was, oh man, that's just been super fun. Part of, again, my mission is being able to give other people a voice and then learning. So we had talked about doing a podcast for a long time, but it's like, ah. I don't, I don't know what the right, you know, model is and how to go about this. And then we both kind of had like a moment where it's like, we love learning ourselves. Why don't we just have somebody on and learn about something in agriculture that we didn't know about. And so that's what we do each week. We have a guest on that comes on and tells us about raising Buffalo or how to milk camels or raising bees. It's just so much fun to be able to have an understanding. We talked about uh, Zach. Ortizka Growing Carrots. Now, of course, I can't remember half the interview anyway. So it's, I, but that's the the beauty of recording it. I can go back and listen to my own
1: podcast. <laughs> now, do you cringe whenever you hear your voice? Because I cannot go back and listen to the episodes because I'm like, why did I word it like that? Like, <laughs> I, I cringe all the time when I hear my own voice.
2: So my own voice I've gotten used to. I've heard it for the last, I've I've heard my own voice probably more than anybody else in the last two years. So at this point, it is what it is. I can't change it. I cringe, though, what you just said, like, I'll say something and I'm like, what in the world is I thinking? <laughs> That's the beauty of being the editor of my own podcast. I would love to give it also up. True. Like, I would love to hire an editor, but the beauty is that I can be like, that was dumb. Cut that out. You're never going to hear. <laughs> There's so many dumb things I say no one's ever going to hear.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're, you can take note like nine times out of 10, all the notes I write are um, like take out what you said yeah, like they're cut, not edits for the guests or edits for me and like i sounded like an idiot when i phrase it this way like yep. I, re- I remember i had an, an interview early on with michelle who's the farm babe yeah and we were t- we were talking about glyphosate and stupid me it was the first time i'd ever really talked about it i called it like glyophosphate. oh yeah <laughs> And she was like, actually, it's glyphosate. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm never going to live that down. That's so I why think you just say it. Part out. You just
2: say it at the end of the episode. You just say glyphosate. And then you work that. You just put yeah. that in right where you
1: said it the first time. Yeah. And then the audio sounds like, oh, yeah, let me ask you about glyphosate. glyphosate. Just like, <laughs> glyphosate. It's so funny. Like, I hope nobody notices that. Yeah, but I'm sure they did. But I mean, it's just one of those things. I feel like you've got to have. I don't know, like both thick skin and just laugh at yourself when you're making content. because You you don't need to get hung up on it because you're going to make mistakes and that's just going to happen. That's just part of it.
2: That's also why, like from a branding standpoint, if you're somebody that's looking to get started on social media, like be careful how you position yourself. Because if you say you're the expert and then you mess up one thing, like, man, you just put yourself out in front of the world claiming that. That's why I'm always like, put that caveat out there. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay. Like I'm just sharing information. I'm learning that way when it's wrong, I can say, look, I was wrong. Like I'm happy to admit those things, but also take everything I say with a grain of salt, kind of cover yourself that way. Otherwise that's <laughs> ah, a tough world. If you claim that you know what you're doing all the time, every
1: time. Yeah. And I feel like that's what a lot of people are doing on social media. I mean, especially like big, big, big brands, like they don't make mistakes. They always say everything perfectly. They yeah. know everything. And so I feel like it resonates more with people when you're being genuine and you're like, hey, I don't know all the answers or hey, I messed up with this. So people are like, oh, I like this guy because he's normal. Like yeah. he's he's not a god. Like he's a human. He makes mistakes and he owns up to it. Like he's not like a liver king that denies <laughs> everything over and over and over again and then gets caught.
2: That And that goes back to what you said, being a guide do people really want to follow people that are better than them? At the end of the day, we Mm. don't like, we really don't. There's a reason TLC shows are so popular because people watch hoarders to feel better about themselves. Right. (laughs) They're like, Oh, at least I'm not that. And so that's also something to consider is like, don't try to be this unobtainable thing. Like show people that they can obtain this as well. Show them that. Yeah. It kind of stinks and maybe it's hard work, but like you can do this too. If you, Mm. Are in Florida and you only have 0.2 acres like you can grow tomatoes if you want you can grow a, a tea garden if you wanted to like it's it's totally possible
1: yeah instead of like giving them like you know like the the premise that like oh I've got a thousand acres like I'm farming this you'll never get to this yeah like like hey you can do it like no matter what like here's what you can do you know like be honest I like that yep yep so I think this is something yeah this is something I wanted to ask you what are some of your favorite farming facts that you've been sharing For years, whether it's one you've shared yourself or some other farmers that shared it on like the five farming facts videos that you did.
2: Well, I mean, so I cover a lot of different facts. Do you want one on like gardening or chickens or just agriculture? Uh,
1: Let's go with with gardening. How about gardening? Let's do that. Gardening,
2: okay. So, hmm, you really put me on the spot there. (laughs) I love the fact about sunflowers. Like sunflowers are... Each individual flower, like you see the petals, but every single sunflower kernel that you see is also a flower and every single one has to get pollinated by some Mm. pollinators. So that's a reason that sunflowers are really popular for pollinators is because you have literally thousands of flowers on each sunflower. I always think that's pretty cool. Um, And then marigolds and tomatoes is like a staple fact for me because I think that's such a beneficial thing that people don't understand companion planting. But if you actually plant marigolds next to your tomatoes, um, they attract the insects that will kill tomato horn bugs and whiteflies and thrips. And there's actually some root synergy as well. The roots exudates from marigolds will actually prevent root, not nematodes, from affecting those tomatoes. Um, those are oh, some wow. of my favorite, favorite garden facts. Um, yeah, that's all I got. That's good.
1: So, no, I, I tried the marigold thing when we grew some tomatoes and peppers, I think, and the tomatoes were getting like, you know, eaten up like the leaves were. And I, I looked it up and I planted some marigold, went away. It was awesome. Yeah. It was really cool. It was like a very, you know, it brought in the good insects. Now, the one thing that I, I had an issue with the tomatoes, and I asked Farmer Dan about this because he was growing tomatoes, and I think he shared the same thing. But the tomatoes were busting like at the seams a little bit. Yeah. And I was like, why is it happening? It was because it was was getting like too much water and too much humidity, which in Florida, you couldn't really change that. (laughs) I know it just kept raining. I was like, well, oh, well, So kind of is what it is. You
2: can change that, actually, if you pick them when they're, uh, I wouldn't say green. You can pick them green, but you're not going to get the same flavor. Once they start Mm -hmm. to turn and they're like 25% color, you can pick them off the vine. And then let them ripen in the house they'll still ripen if you do it that way and so that's a good way to prevent that obviously if you're getting a bunch of rain and they're splitting when they're green there's not much you can do but i did think of another fact one that i i should have led off with because this is one of my favorites is that there's more microorganisms in a teaspoon of soil than there is humans on earth and i love that because one of the you know the aspects of food is like it's all grounded in soil Take aquaponics out. They're in their own spectrum. I'm not talking about that. Oh, yeah. But most food comes from soil. And so the importance of soil and remembering that your soil is not just dirt. There's a difference between dirt and soil is that it's alive. And there's more life in a teaspoon than there is humans on the
1: planet. That is wild. I did not know that. Yep.
2: Yeah. That's that is That why- is interesting. That's why having good soil health is is just vital. And you see a lot of people talking about no-till and cover crops and those things that are, are buzzwords now because they've been around for yeah. long enough. You have people that are on both sides of the argument. But those are so popular because we're understanding that the health of the soil directly correlates to the health of the food. And we've lost so much. I, I don't remember what the number is off the top of my head. I don't want to give it to you. But it's somewhere around like 40% of all the nutrients in our food we've lost since the 70s. And that's because hmm. it's just not in the soil. And so if you improve yeah. your soil, you're going to get healthier plants, healthier plants, healthier people. It just, it all works together.
1: Yeah, I love the 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 trend of getting, you know, back to basics and like understanding that we need to improve soil health. I mean, yeah, that, that's so key. And, and you, it's funny, you can tell Who's aware of that? Whenever they refer to dirt as soil, like I, yeah. I'm kind of the same. Like anytime I, I'm like, oh no, this is the soil, not the dirt. And people yeah. are like, no, it's dirt. I'm like, no, but it's it's soil. It's more than dirt. Like there's a lot going on in there. And They're like, oh okay, yeah. So it's like, like a good little teaching moment. Yeah. Yep. That's not bad. Um, well, Noah, this has been awesome to connect with you and talk to you about all things on social media. You're doing an amazing job, obviously, with all of your videos and stuff like that. If people want to follow you, you're on all the social medias. Where all can they go to follow you and your story and learn a thing or two about farming and homesteading?
2: Yeah. Well, first off, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to come on and share my story a little bit. Hopefully provide some uh, helpful tips and information for people. Any uh, channels that I'm on, uh, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook are the main ones. Don't use Twitter, but uh, it's just at the Shiloh Farm.
1: Yeah. Well, perfect. Well, we'll link all that below um great to virtually meet you again and chat with you this is awesome i have like likewise i've been doing i've been doing well thank you i've been doing a better job of like taking notes during interviews and i think i have like four videos and like four reels that i'm going to cut from this so i think this will be great very good very good thanks thanks so much for coming on man
2: yeah not a problem
1: again thanks so much for noah for coming on the show and thank you so much to you for listening i really appreciate it check out noah below at the links below in the description of this episode as well as all things farm travel related um so i'm editing this show and i just realized something i recorded an episode today and i'm working on our next interview which will be sometime next week totally unintentional but the next two episodes are alcohol related which is kind of cool um, I interviewed a ciderworks company today. Um, They're out of California, and then next week I'm going to be interviewing a small batch distiller that makes custom small batch whiskey. And so with both interviews, we're kind of talking about how they are really involved in picking the produce, like the apples, for for example, with the um, the ciderwork company, and then the corn for the distillery in making their products and how connected they are to that whole process and i think that's really cool Um, actually today in the cider work interview we chatted with or we chatted about um kind of how with craft cocktails and craft drinks like some cider not only is the drink and the taste super important obviously it's also on the story and how you craft it with the ingredients that went into it the people that made it and I thought that was really, really cool. So that's going to be kind of a, like a driving message for the next few episodes. That'll be cool. Look for that in the next couple of weeks. Um, those will be fun. And actually in the Cider Works um, or in the Cider episode, which the company's called Posterity Cider Works, but in the episode we actually did a tasting, which was really fun. We've never done that before. So that was super cool. Uh, I'm going to try to post that on YouTube as well as, you know, everywhere that the podcast goes out. So look for that next week. That'll be super fun. I really appreciate listening. Um, we are just getting started in 2023. I f- well, you know, I say that and it's May. Yeah. <laughs> These months are flying by, but we're having a great time here at Farm Traveler. So thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Four in the
0: morning, Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds up in the sky.